Welcome to the next episode of Podcast Payoffs. My name is Gord Vickman here with my podcast partner, Dan Sullivan. Hi, Dan. How are you doing? Hi, Gord. How are you this morning? Wonderful. Thank you. We're wrapping up one of the most interesting years of my entire lifetime, and that started in 1944. Mm-hmm. There's a lot going on. On the show today, we're going to be talking about not only technology as we are prone to doing on the show, which is about technology, but Dan, I know one of your favorite topics is not only technology, but the convergence and how companies who are inventing new things to make our lives easier as we are far away from one another, there's almost a compelling nature to the convergence. Mm -hmm. Translation and language, we're going to cover all that. We're so glad you're with us today, so thanks very much. Dan, I know that you have mentioned Zoom before being one of the most transformational technologies that you've ever experienced in your life. Mm-hmm. We touched on this briefly on a previous episode, but you know, Zoom is to the 2020 global lockdown as the telephone was to the Spanish flu. And if you could just sort of explain to those who may not be aware of the Spanish flu, uh, when that happened, and just what the telephone meant to people who didn't have one at the time, and how it may be ushered in, and how that relates to what's going on with Zoom now. Because I see, you know, very uh, clear similarities between technologies being ushered in out of necessity when people when people can't be together. Yeah. Well, to actually compare Zoom to the telephone. In both cases, the technology was well-developed before an emergency occurred. And uh, and the emergency will alter people's capability to operate in daily life. So if I can make the direct comparison, and I know a little bit about this because my mother, who was born in 1910, she was in a large household. She came from a family of seven The Spanish flu epidemic uh, started in 1918 and it went to 1920 and there were several, you know, really go big and then it would die off and then it would go big again. So just for a statistical comparison, it was probably a hundred times worse than what we're going through right now, you know, from a death standpoint. So 19... 18, 19, 19, there were probably 1.5 billion people on the planet. And as a result of the Spanish flu epidemic, 50 million died. So just put that in context, we have 8 billion and we're between 1 and 2 million have now died. So easily 50 times less from a mortality standpoint. But I don't think it was as big a deal for most people because there wasn't social media. There wasn't 24-7 newscasts to, what I would say, multiply the fear. You know, we live in a culture of fear multiplication because fears get our attention. But going back to my mother's experience, they were three months quarantined in their house. I asked her about, you know, how'd you get things in the house, food and things outside of the house like waste, and there were services that immediately sprang up that did that for you. But the difficulty was that even in 1918, the vast majority of people didn't have telephones in their homes. So you had to send messages out by writing, and there was a service for that too. Entrepreneurs, you know, like they have over the last nine months, Gord, entrepreneurs spring up when there's something that needs doing and they'll do it for you. But I would talk to her about this and, you know, asked her all sorts of questions about what it was like and what'd you learn from this? I mean, 
how'd it go? You know, I mean, she had lots of insights and some were things that were good, things that were bad. She was a great reader. So she said that she spent most of her time when she was finished with her chores, she would read. She was basically the reader in the family. And I inherited that in my own family. As a result of her, I became the, the great reader in my family. But just in light of changes that she saw, I said, what do you think the biggest change was for your family and for other families as a result of the quarantine? And she said, everybody got a telephone. Everybody <laughs> got a telephone. They just felt that they really needed a better means of communication, certainly throughout their lockdown. Afterwards, they had developed all sorts of you know, goals for having telephones and how the telephone would be used. Now, here's the thing. The telephone was in development and telephone systems were in development for 50 years before this happened, but there wasn't the pressing need. And I think that technologies take a jump when all of a sudden there's a pressing need. I just developed a thought about Zoom that there's no incentive to do something new and there's no alternative and that's exactly what happened to us. We were totally a, an in-person company, and people traveled long distances to come to strategic coach workshops. All of our team in Canada, the United States, and the United Kingdom had to commute to a place to work, and for events, they had to commute. And that immediately stopped. Both the in-person workshops stopped, and the in-company, in-person workforce stopped. And Zoom was an immediate alternative. My feeling is that it was an incredibly well-developed technology because I had been using it. You and I had been using it, actually, for podcasts. And you're up on what's available in technology, both audio and video. So we already had the capability. And so we were able to switch the company in two to three days everybody in the company. And as a result of the program, we started introducing our first alternative workshops within 10 days after we got our company set. And it's been total Zoom ever since. So I think it's an exact parallel that something was needed. There was a great deficiency discovered because of an event, because of a negative event that was true in 1918, that was true in 2020. So I think there are almost parallel events on how these great breakthroughs actually happen. And you think, you know, when the telephone was ushered in during the Spanish flu, that was more an issue of maybe survival or, you know, your mental health not going completely bonkers by being kind of locked in your house for three months with no communication with anyone for any reason. So it was, you know, sheer necessity to prevent yourself from going totally nuts or if there was an emergency. Now, we still have the telephone in 2020 when Zoom came on, but Zoom just expanded all the capabilities. I mean, could people survive without video conferencing applications? Yeah. I mean, we don't need them to breathe or to eat, but they've opened up opportunities for companies like Strategic Coach and Everyone. I don't know anybody in the working world, people who work, you know, not in the trades, who is not using Zoom right now or similar video conferencing applications to communicate with the people who they work with. And I can't really imagine what it would be like. I guess we'd be having phone conference calls. I don't even know what that would look like. Well, first of all, you have to realize they didn't get the phones 
while they were in the lockdown because people weren't permitted in from the outside. So, right. so it was a different situation. And psychologically and emotionally, people were very different. They had just been through the First World War. Recessions or depressions were kind of common. I think there were seven of them between the Civil War and the Great Depression. There were every four or five years, there were depressions. And it had a lot to do with a not well thought out banking system. That was one of the real problems. The banks were generally independent and they were isolated and there wasn't a backup central bank. There wasn't a federal reserve. There wasn't anything else. And they still made a huge mistake. And I think actually the Great Depression is a mistake on the part of the government. It wasn't a so much a failure of the stock market, it was a failure of government. They actually reduced the amount of credit available in response to the Great Depression. Mm. But when I talked to people who were born near the beginning of the 20th century, they didn't take things personally like people do today. They actually felt that they were part of something bigger where a lot of people today actually feel isolated, even though that we have vastly more means of staying in communication with each other, people actually feel more isolated. My experience is that people are more nervous today about little things, and they had big things. I mean, they had really, really big things, and they had a great belief in the future in those days, which is missing with half the population right now. They don't believe in the future. So you can't really know how people responded a hundred years ago, unless you have diaries. I think diaries are the best indication. You know, they had diseases. I mean, they had typhoid epidemics. They had tuberculosis epidemics. They had smallpox. They had yellow fever. You know, there was still quite a bit of infant mortality in those days. They weren't used to healthcare. Nobody went to hospitals in those days. The doctor came to visit you. It was really a different age, but the point of the comparison that we're making here is suddenly you realize that there's a higher need for communication than you had previous to the event. And I think the telephone was that big, big thing back then. And I think that Zoom is now. I think Zoom actually is a convergence of a lot of great technologies over the last 30 or 40 years and I think it's the best of them. I have to tell you, well, the personal computer and the internet, of course, are part of it, but nobody went crazy for the personal computer or the internet like they have for Zoom. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. You're talking about just the resiliency of the way people used to be and the fact that people just need so much attention now. I always think about that movie, The Truman Show with Jim Carrey, which was... Uh, a baby born into a life and the only design for the child was to be filmed 24-7 and to have his life broadcast to, you know, tens of millions, if not more, willing watchers. And it was presented as a very dystopian movie. It was a sad movie and you felt sorry for him. And everybody cheered at the end when his boat bumped into the outside wall and he realized what was going on. But now it seems like more than half the population would be quite happy to switch places with them. They would love to jump into the Truman Dome and just be filmed 24-7. It's a strange phenomenon. I'm not quite sure if it's, I don't know, like a search for a new identity or, I mean, that's a totally different podcast. But on the subject of Zoom and the convergence of these technologies, which we promised we're going to touch on, what do you think entrepreneurs are doing right 
with it in your experience? Because you've spoken to hundreds of coach clients all through Zoom since the global lockdown started, and you've seen some things that people are doing right and some things that people are doing wrong. What do you think those are? If you could just highlight a couple of them. I think entrepreneurs more than other people realize that the central vehicle of their business success is relationships. Okay. Zoom actually increased their ability to do something that they were already good at. So it hasn't taken them from poor to good. It's taken them from really good to great. The other thing was that most of my entrepreneurs would have been prepared to do this five years ago, but there wasn't anyone at the other end. There was a quarterback, but there was no pass receivers. Yeah. You, know, you were throwing the ball to hit the ground, you know, because you couldn't get people to engage on Zoom. And within a very short period of time, they did. And I've got to believe, Gord, when we're, let's say we have a year's perspective, let's say we're at the end of 2021 and we're looking back, it's a particular type of entrepreneur who's done extraordinarily well here. They were already client and customer centered rather than product and service centered. And what I mean by that, it wasn't what they were selling that was important. It was what was happening in the clients and customers' lives. And my sense is that their ability to get a read on that has gone up exponentially over the last nine months because, first of all, you're seeing your clients and customers in their homes, largely. The other thing is that 98% of our client base in strategic coach are in services. They're not in manufacturing. They're not in retail. So it's a very, very easy communication that takes between two people. You know, I'm in my home, client or customer is in his home. And when we do Zoom calls, we'll have 70 or 80 entrepreneurs and the vast majority of them are in their homes. And I think that brought a sense of comfort. I think that brought a sense of relaxation to the conversation. And we stopped making judgments. I mean, we weren't worried too much about how we were dressed. People had to improve their use of being videoed in the sense that you had to have good light, you had to have good bandwidth, and you had to kind of learn how to participate in a new space. I think the Zoom space is a separate space. We're all from different spaces. You're in a different place now. I am where we're doing this, but the space that we're sharing is the Zoom space. And that we're learning the rules, the etiquette of what makes it easy to communicate. And I would say every month for the last nine months, there's been an improvement on our clients and how they utilize Zoom. And they're getting bigger ideas now about what they're going to do in 2021. We can save them up, but eventually you got to kind of unleash them because we're not quite sure up here where we are in Toronto when this is going to wrap up, but it will. And those who best prepare during the time of adversity are going to be the ones that are going to be ready to blast off when things go back to what people may expect. The new normal, we hear that so much, you know, it's, what does the new normal even mean? Well, no, we're in the new normal. Yeah. This is the new normal. Yeah. You know, it's like a year from now, it won't be fewer people using Zoom, it'll be more people. Users of Zoom will increase every quarter going into the future. And I think there's room to grow, and a lot of people would agree with me. I think that's a fairly standard. I'm not blowing any minds with that assertion, but I saw this piece of technology, and because we cover technology primarily here on the show, Podcast Payoffs, I just wanted to mention it because I thought 
It reminded me of you, actually, Dan, because, you know, in terms of technology and how they are, you know, compelled to converge, I thought this application of this technology within existing technologies would be really fascinating. So they have these real-time AI translators, and I actually purchased one. We were down at Peter Diamandis's Abundance 360. Well, yours too. You were a co-creator. And they had these real-time translators. It was a little box. It was a handheld thing. And you could speak English into it. And my in-laws are from Brazil. My wife's Brazilian. So their English is passable, but they're not going to come up here and start sharing, you know, Shakespearean monologues because they're not speaking English very much. So sometimes it's a little bumpy when they're up here in Toronto visiting us or we go down to Brazil to visit them. So I had this translator and it was great. I could speak English and it would spit out the Portuguese for my father-in-law. He could speak Portuguese, but it was clunky and the battery didn't last very long and it was weird to use. And I always had this weird feeling that if I ever dropped it, that would be the end of it. It was a couple hundred bucks. And I remember thinking, how long is it going to take before someone gets one of these that you just shove in your ear and you don't have to hold anything? And then I saw this video last week. It's a company called Time Kettle and they have this uh, new device called the AI Real-Time Translator. So if you're familiar with Apple AirPods, it looks very much like an Apple AirPod. It's just a little white piece of plastic that you put in your ear and your partner that you're speaking to puts it in their ear and you speak your native language and the device translates it in real time and spits it back into their ear. So you're having a conversation where one person may be speaking Portuguese and the other person is speaking English and they claim to have a 93% accuracy. So I started thinking these things, again, I've seen them before as handheld devices, but I'd never seen it as a, you know, a wearable. And I knew that wearable was the future. And then I thought, what if Zoom were able to integrate this? I'm not going to make any predictions. And Dan, I remember years ago we were talking, it might have been at that conference actually, and you said something to the effect of, you know, if you're going to predict that flying cars are the future, you better have a company that makes flying cars. <laughs> because you got skin in the game now. Otherwise, you're just sort of parroting things and you have no idea. I'm not in the flying car workshop. <laughs> I'm not in the AI real-time translation workshop. So I'm not going to say that these things are taking over because they may not. But would it be interesting to you as a coach if Zoom could integrate this real-time translation system? And what would that mean for strategic coach to be able to open workshops to anyone because right now we've been limited to those who speak English because our programs are in English. What would that mean for strategic coach if Zoom or other video applications like this could integrate that real-time translation? My approach would do what would immediately benefit us first and most. And my feeling it would be the podcast, not the program. Mm -hmm. And the reason is because I want the podcast to go as far as possible and people can do anything they want to do with the podcast. I would have a real serious talk with my intellectual property lawyers before I started translating the program into another language. We'd have to understand what the intellectual property issues would be with that. My sense is that it'll come, but right now we've just gone global with English. You know, So we're in a period right now where we have... I would say easily 10 times growth around the world using English. And I would say there's a difference for the entrepreneurial world compared to the corporate world or the political world. And the point is that in the entrepreneurial world, if you're an entrepreneur and you want to be really successful, now that communication is global, well, English is the global language. You may not like that. You think that's unfair and everything else, but I have to tell you, it's like Latin in the Roman Empire. I mean, 
English is the global language. And I find the top entrepreneurs in every country that we know about, one of their first skill sets they develop is the ability to operate in English. So I think it's further down the road as far as the program. I think it's the next quarter as far as the podcasts go. Yeah, I was thinking that as well. And again, I don't work for Apple and I have no skin in the game at Apple, but I just thought, how long is it going to take? Is it quarters or is it years when Apple could integrate this technology into their already iconic AirPods, the real-time AI translation. And what this means for podcasters would be, I mean, the podcast space is dominated by English speakers. Overwhelming majority of podcasts are in English. And mostly Americans. Yes. Mm-hmm. And what would it mean or how much fun would that be if someone who does not speak English at all could go onto strategicpodcasts.com, tap any one of your podcasts and Multiplier Mindset, Inside Strategic Coach or Shannon Waller and the AirPods, whatever they're going to be called, could translate the podcast in real time into whatever language they choose. And I think that's something that is so wild to think about. And we could do it too, if there was a podcast in Spanish that an English speaker really thought was great. Mm-hmm. Or if there was a business leader who was not podcasting in English, you could use these real-time translation devices to listen to their podcasts and get it in real time. It opens up the podcast world to virtually anyone who speaks any language. I hope it's coming. I don't know if it's coming. Well, here's the thing. It's not who is going to create it. It's not who's going to manufacture it. It's who the consumers are. It's the aspirations of consumers that determine the future of technology. It's not bright guys in a tech lab or something that determine. It's consumers have an aspiration. My feeling is that the aspirational level for this would be very high. Actually, I tell you the country that would be in the best position, my sense would be in the best position to take advantage of this would be India. And the reason is because 350 million Indians have English as their first or second language. I think it's about 60 million grew up speaking, but they have a country that has hundreds of other languages. And the other thing is that they're one of the most technologically advanced countries in the world. So it might be Indians who are the breakthrough here, or if not the Indians, then it would be the Israelis because they're always at the cutting edge of everything. We truly live in interesting times. You know, I'm very grateful that we have Zoom and that we have the ability to communicate and to carry on and do what we do. And we hope you do too. If you want to learn a little bit more about Strategic Coach, we have an amazing resource online that you can grab for free right now. Simply go to freetoolkit.coach. That's freetoolkit.coach. Dot coach and the ultimate entrepreneur's toolkit is available there for you four of dan's favorite tools are available for you to download just let us know who you are and we'll get those over to you and dan any final thoughts as we wrap up this episode i think that all new capabilities start with somebody just talking about them podcasts are a great place to talk about them because we're going to have tens of thousands of people listening to what we're talking about here. And somebody says, well, you know, that's a really good idea. And I know somebody who might be interested in this. It's always driven by conversations. I think all innovation is driven by a starting conversation where somebody says, you know, this would be a great breakthrough if we had it. And then the conversation spreads and then other people join in the conversation. Some of them who actually have the talents the technological engineering talents to actually put something together. 
And it would be good if 50 different companies tried to introduce this. I think that would be good for the development of this. It's really wild to think that everything we see in our physical space was just at one time an idea in someone's head. You can take your ideas and turn them into reality. Hope we inspired you to do that today here on Podcast Payoffs. Thanks so much, Dan. Thank you, Gordon.